Get ready for Unriveted Radio on Super Talk 1270. Now, here's Travis Feist and Rob McLeod. So welcome back to another episode of Dakota Customs Unriveted. I'm your host, Travis Feist, and with me as always is my co-host, Rob McLeod. Good morning, guys. So, a little shop talk. Man, we're busy. It just we're, seems like every time we turn around, there's always new projects coming in. I mean, it's just uh, it's kind of what we're used to now. Um, can't remember the last slow day we had. Mm-mm. It just like wouldn't know what to do with myself. It's like, oh, geez, I can actually get ahead of the ball game. No, <laughs> no you just no. kind of gotta just do the full on full tilt doggy paddle every day and yeah <laughs> get just through keep it. on keeping on yeah. much. and but, i know we've uh it's actually nice cuz we've been really hitting that F100 really hard that 51 that yeah wow that wow, thing custom work to it yeah it's going to be up to that level of where um Jason's and Paul is which is um once that's finished out it's going to be an absolute showstopper mm-hmm. um and that's going off for interior here pretty soon. If yeah, I late late March, early April. I think yeah. we're gonna send it out and let those guys do their thing. And it's gonna be a one-off. Get it back and handmade custom interior. So I'm yeah. excited to see that. Yeah. So we'll keep pictures of that car as yeah. we get. Be on back the lookout on for that car this summer. We might mm-hmm. we might be showing that thing off. So um, yeah. probably gonna be one of our best ones yet. It's the one that's been here the longest. I've had it, I think, six years, seven. That's not partially. Seven years, but I haven't been working on it yeah. steady. Yeah, and that's partially due to Jason, too. Yeah, it's but, been a mutual agreement that, of the changes and but, stuff we've been doing, but it's going to be know, definitely it's, worth it. It's nice having, even though it's a slight, um, for lack of better words, pain, but it's nice having a customer know exactly what they want. So they kind of give us um, a position to execute for, mm-hmm. an end goal. So sometimes when customers just leave it up to us, it's a little bit trickier because you always kind of got, you know, a little bit of anxiety of, did we hit the mark or not? So with like, I told Art the same thing. Art's very specific on how this dually is gonna turn out, this 22 Ford um, F350. Which but is another very good customer of ours. Yeah, We've done and, multiple stuff for him. So you know the the correspondence between me and Art via email is very extensive, but it's nice knowing exactly what he wants because it just mm-hmm. it's like it kind of gives us steps to hit the mark. Mm-hmm. So and it's some nice. of the guesswork out of it. Yeah, and it's but, nice for a lot of that too because it seems like the customers come in and it's like in the same sentence they have you have full reign, but this is but what don't I like. do this. Yeah, and, yeah. And I, you know, it's like I like that because they don't just stay in this tunnel in black and white. Like they know, like, hey, we're gonna go above and beyond. As long as it looks like this, I don't care how you guys do it, but I know you're gonna take it, and I can give you my ideas. And I know you guys are gonna go above and beyond. It's gonna be awesome. But yeah, yeah, I love customers like that. RJ's another good one too. Yeah, he's he's another great customer. Yeah, it makes our life a lot easier. Because mm-hmm. uh, you get a little tricky sometimes in the custom world, almost almost too much freedom, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, it's kind of interesting how so RJ was here yesterday and he dropped off another one of his projects for us to do. I like RJ. He keeps us busy. <laughs> yeah. He's a good guy. So he's yeah. Like, he's just he keeps it. We should just rent a spot. And put RJ's. Uh, yeah, name on RJ's it, bay. He, 
he just yeah, keeps us busy. Thing would always be full. Yeah, and uh, he has one of his trucks here that he brought his side by side, which we're doing another side by side for him. And uh, he had some work done at a competitor. I want to say competitor, but a, an another like, uh, accessory place here yeah. in town. And uh, wow, it's kind of crazy how when you see somebody else's work that it makes me as a business owner and when I look at it to know like how my guys would do the install and the quality of work and you can totally tell the difference. So we kind of had a little meet and greet last night. He's bringing his truck back for us to fix what was put on from another place. Sounds about right. Yeah. Sounds about right. Um, it's kind of funny how low the other our competitors set the bar um for the work that they put out the door you know where it's like you it's just like it's the best or nothing and that's kind of the standard mm -hmm. and it's just like oh, that's the way it should be especially when i say this a lot to customers we're dealing with vehicles that's mm -hmm. essentially the medium between life and death yeah it's better be done right yeah you know so yeah, um, it's, but yeah, it's. I don't see how other shops don't see it that way. Yeah, you know, and you should do everything a hundred percent. But it's just, it was crazy just to see the lack of. I don't know if it's discipline or what, but on the that's, install, it's and just, that's just RJ. RJ just like just laughed about it. like you gotta be kidding me. Like, yeah, this is asinine. Yeah, yeah. but which yeah. I guess it. Like I said, every day it's it's interesting what you come across, but. So yeah, we're busy. We got a lot of stuff going on, a lot of projects. Um, Almost kind of feels like bike weather. It's getting there. There's been bikes out. I've seen bikes out already, which I think is nuts. I think yeah, it's nuts. a little ridiculous. But last night when I left here, there was a bike sitting at the stoplight down here. And then last weekend when it was nice out on Saturday, guy leathered up. I, I think I could barely see his eyes, but he rode his, I think it was a Road King or something. He rode no, by and I was like, that man. That guy rides that bike a lot. It's like, uh, it's got twin cholo, or no, quad cholo pipes on it. It's like a Vulcan Kawasaki um, and Harley knockoff. And yeah, but I was like, yeah, it's a little early, a little yeah. premature for bikes. Yeah, yeah but it's kind of like. It's tempting, but I don't think, I think the roads are ready and for seeing, The roads seeing are ready Dave's for you, bike, yeah, Seeing Dave's bike come along in the nice weather. Uh, and of course I walk past my Harley every time I walk in the door, it's like. It's getting there. It's getting there. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of that, Dave's bike is coming along. It's looking awesome. Um, we'll have pictures of that too. We'll be posting, but we're trying to get that done up for the bike show in the end of March, beginning of April or second week in April, I think something it like is. That. Something like that for yep. the Freedom Riders bike show, which uh, we will be posting as we get closer to it. We'll be posting the dates of that bike show and I believe Dave is going to have it there at the show. So good chance if you're local, you can swing down and check it out. It's yeah, you're cool. making your uh, your grand comeback since the, the little, we'll say, uh, I don't know what I don't know what you'd even call that, but when I retired for a couple of years, well, that's a good way to put yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll say it like that. Yeah, it's actually good to have a customer come in that with a brand new bike with like two miles, I think it's what it even has two on there. Miles, yeah. And let us tear it apart completely 100% and do our thing to it. And it's, God, I love guys like that. Yeah. Those are my favorite customers, yeah. you know, where they have trust in us to 
kind of go outside the means and and can we can show what we're capable of doing so it's yeah. it's nice to have that kind of ability but you know we appreciate everybody's work that you know or business that they bring through our door you know it's just those those specialty ones just makes us shine a little bit more because it it they almost tests kind, our knowledge they almost kind of got to be that way yeah to to put out that that vehicle that's different mm -hmm. so. yeah and especially if you're going to invest in it and you're going to invest a lot like go out go all out you know yeah. that's how i feel but yeah. anyways um, he's he loves it it's gonna be awesome so stay yeah. tuned for that um so a couple months ago a couple podcasts ago we actually had one uh, we did a podcast on today's i want to i don't know how to say it but it's like changing industry yeah towards a different you know type of you know way we live essentially yeah you know the everything with covid and what everybody went through and with covid it seemed like the whole new uh era of the ev world that has been introduced to us nationwide you know within the last couple of years and how big it got and we actually did an interview with uh, jesse peterson um, and he's the owner of uh, ID Ford in Bismarck and Mandan and ID Chrysler. And we visited with him for on a podcast on on a business dealership end of it. What the impacts were to, for him and and as a dealership on EV vehicles and the sales and parts and the service and everything and how. You know the retrofit what he had to do for the expansion and the investment and all that so it was kind of nice to get like to hear a point of view from a dealership side the effects on what it's the ev world is is bringing into everybody and i kind of wanted to get like a different perspective at a different angle on the ev world and I reached out to Darcy Nigum here. He is he's responsible for the electric transmission and planning and operations for uh, Montana Dakota Utilities for MDU here in Bismarck. Uh, he has a electrical engineer. You're a graduate of it. Yep. And you've been doing this for what thirty? Not so? quite thirty, about twenty-seven. Uh, pretty close. Okay. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> so. You know, I reached out to you to get, when it comes, so a lot of times, you know, and I'm 100% I'm guilty of this, um, you know, when people go up or just what we take for granted in this world today, you know, it's running water, hot water, electricity, and nobody, I, I think there's a lot, a lot, and I was guilty as one of them, people that just think that, you can just always plug something into the wall. You'll always flip a switch. There's always electricity there. It's it's pretty simple. It's not that complicated. And in reality, it's very complicated. And it doesn't really quite work like that. That you guys have to manage electricity. You guys, I mean, it's there's a science behind it. Is that correct? I mean, there's way more to it than just just plugging in a cord and there's power everywhere. Yeah, I think, I think the, the general consensus is that there's just all this power on tap. It's never changes and you just, it's always there. Well, it is always there, but on the backside of things, 
that'd be a very inefficient, inefficient, or inefficient way to supply power. If it's just you just had one mass constant supply, and just well, yeah. So and I know, and I'll let you explain it a little yeah. bit. So I I know that there's just not this huge. And I know it's going to sound funny, but there's not just this huge like ocean, vault somewhere ocean electricity, yeah. to where it's just like full of electricity and, it. and it's just yeah. always there because it honestly doesn't work like that. Correct. No, it yeah. doesn't work like <laughs> yeah. that. It may seem like it, but it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. And, and you would think that, oh, we're, we just make electricity and we just store it and there's all, there's all these. And I know it, people are going to make fun of me, but I know there's not containers full of electricity, but I'm just seeing it like in a in a natural term that people think like you just put it over here and just keep storing electricity but it doesn't work like that correct correct you, you mentioned the science so there is a lot of science behind it but a lot of that is that that planning piece that goes in for you know what you think your customers are going to use mm -hmm. uh, the one thing with electricity today and at least the way the grid works everything is kind of instantaneous mm -hmm. and so we really don't have that ability to have this large amounts of storage today and so you have to plan for kind of what your customers needs are mm -hmm. and then also have that energy available somewhere so when they flip the switch where does that next little increment come from correct and that varies throughout the day and throughout the season so it isn't that everybody uses the same amount of energy all the time mm -hmm. or electricity it varies throughout the day and you can have largely different between you know, spring and the fall, we talk about in the evenings and what you end up on a hot or cold summer day, mm -hmm. you know, that load can change by probably, you know, three or four times mm -hmm. from what it is on a low day to a high day. So there really isn't a lot of storage in the system today. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is just how you end up planning, know what your customers may potentially use and looking at past history yes. for what they have and being able to have a system that's flexible to be able to adjust for that. So I'd say your biggest, um, Thing is like your, your transmission rates change huh? Uh, so part of that is that we use the transmission system itself to be able to move energy from large generating okay. stations. From where it's not as needed to where it is needed yeah. It can move that way. Okay. Some of that today at least the way it functions today is you have the large generating units we have. Sure. You know today those are the ones up in the coal field mm -hmm. or other places and we have that energy we end up moving down to where the customer load is. Right. If there's an outage on one of those facilities or even on the transmission system then we have to route it from another place. Sure. So it's kind of a delivery issue. Yep. I know my uh my old man, his uh, second part of his career, he was um, a maintenance guy at Nakota Power Plant. And so he always talked about, you know, how many megawatts, you know, he produced today. You know, he's mm -hmm. kind of just talking dumb. He's like, he's like, he's like yo, you didn't, make, you didn't make three megawatts today, did you? I didn't, and whatever, stuff like that. So, um, and he always talked about how they sent it to, you know, obviously, Minkota, they sent it out to Minnesota and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And, but, uh, and that's about as far as I got in this, you know, large-scale electricity sure. so with this this is something that you guys monitor real-time correct like you guys watch the electrical grid 24 yep. hours a day right yep it's we have operators who do that and they will actually make changes or respond if something happens mm -hmm. and, and requires an action but a lot of that kind of works almost like on a cruise control mm -hmm. that it almost has there's a lot of automation in it but, but some of that is also based on a lot of the planning and where you're anticipating your needs are going to be the next hour, the next day, the next week, even the next year or 10 years from now, mm -hmm. and making sure you try to get ahead of those things. So can you, 
real briefly uh, kind of explain the process before we kind of get into this so that people can kind of understand the process of getting and making electricity and then how you guys because I know what we create for electricity here let's just say in Bismarck or North Dakota but I'm just gonna use Bismarck for for an example you don't just make electricity for Bismarck or for just Mandan or not just for North Dakota like you guys make I shouldn't say you but I'm just saying like the electricity is being made and sold out throughout the states it's not just right here in North Dakota so you kind of want to explain the process and how you go through and do everything and and sell the sell the electricity and store it and like the process of that and then we'll kind of get into how that is involving with the EV world sure and some of that is Travis is a bit of a transformation so you know originally when there would have been you know 60, 70 years ago as far as electrification of mm -hmm. communities and stuff. What you would have had would have been just a small plant that would have been located in like Bismarck and Mandan. And that would have just supplied this area and we didn't have the other towns or at least connections to other parts of the state. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was kind of inefficient. So where we've kind of developed the system too is you have large generators as we end up seeing up in the coal plants that they end up having or even part of the hydro <clears throat> systems on the dam system that we have that are all part of a broader network that has that ability to provide whatever the needs are for customers in that area. And then also we're connected with our neighbors so that energy can then move if we have a neighbor in Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, somewhere else, we have an ability to be able to share in resources and help each other out. Okay. And part of that, it, it eliminates the need to have to, to duplicate a lot of facilities that you'd have in case you had an outage or a problem happened, that mm -hmm. I don't have to have two generators that can serve one load, I can end up sharing some of that excess with somebody else. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we coordinate heavily with our neighbors, and actually when we talk about the transmission system and generation system itself, you know, the whole uh, central eastern part of the United States is all kind of connected. And so we have lines that run in between us and we're sharing megawatts back and forth with each other, and then there's kind of a separation. The western side of the U.S. kind of has their own grid where they share amongst themselves. Does that is that divide kind of based on like the Rocky Mountain Range? Kind of. It kind of follows that. Okay. And it's kind of on the western or the eastern side of the Rockies. Sure. And some of that is historically there were less populations people living there. It, that was the last part of the, the lower 48 to get civilized. So obviously it kind of went from east to west as yep. far as, you know, all the infrastructure, right? Yep, so there ends yeah. up being these two separations. But but part of that, it ends up being that, that planning as far as how you develop electricity, you want to do it you know, as economically and certainly as reliability to meet whatever your customers' needs are. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of resources we end up having. You know, the coal plants historically have been that, that base load they run you know, 24-7, 365 if they can around the clock. And then there's other kind of resources that come on, whether it's gas resources or oil to kind of fill the peaks. And recently we've seen a lot more uh, interest in people building wind in this area and other parts of the country solar. But mm -hmm. a lot of that generation today, there really isn't a lot of storage behind it, mm -hmm. but it's one of those things that's being looked at as there's this transformation that's kind of happening across you know, the United States of looking at other and alternative ways to generate electricity. So I know that, I know with, with what you guys deal with every day, I mean, you, you, 
when I keep saying you, it's I'm referring to like MBU. Um, is the clean energy, you know, go green on plants and creating electricity and getting electricity and everything else. So you have like that whole thing to deal with on one spectrum, you know, make, you know, like, you know, like how we're going to, you know, like wind, solar, all that whole era of electricity. Then on the other side of it, you have, well, there's way more usage every day with, you know, I know uh, there was when these rigs, when the oil field took off up here, I don't know, like 10 years ago, and there was a spike up there. People were building plants because of the amount of electricity when all the oil wells and rigging and, and workover rigs came in. Well, you guys had to accommodate for all that. So you'd have to just make, make more electricity to supply for that kind of demand. Well, now that that's kind of leveled off, if not maybe went down a little bit, but it's still it's still going on. It's you know they're still producing up there. It's not as heavy, but mm -hmm. it, you know they're still doing things. But then now we have the whole EV world is showing up, and it's not like we're getting one or two cars a month. Like we're talking probably thousands of cars that are producing electrical and and what have you. So. Not only are you guys trying to figure out how to keep producing and doing the whole electrical end of it, but you also have to figure out at the same time the supply and demand also throughout your grid and your regions. What's that like? And Travis, you hit a good point, and some of that is you know talking about planning. Mm -hmm. And so if you can plan, you can kind of say what's the most efficient way or at least find out the best way to be able to meet those needs of customers. Mm -hmm. You know, the, what happened in the Williston-Bakken area with the oil boom up there is kind of an example. It came on very quickly, and, and some of that it's in an area that didn't have a lot of ability to deliver right. more energy into that area. I mean, people were popping up man caves and, and building yep. buildings in the middle of nowhere. Like, they were just like, okay, we're going we're gonna to settle right here, and it was they put a stake in the ground, and they built. I mean, it was... Things were popping up left and right all over the place up there in the Bakken area. And if you can't plan for it and have enough time, then things happen where the only way to be able to serve that load is to put a lot of generation, mm -hmm. and maybe not the most efficient generation, up in that area until there's more infrastructure that can get built. Mm -hmm. And some of that was in the case of larger transmission lines mm -hmm. that can move more you know, energy from the coal field, something else yep. up there. But in that interim, if you don't have time to plan for it, mm -hmm. then at least you're kind of you know, making do with what you can mm -hmm. is kind of how it went. And, and some of that is that transformation. If it's in electric vehicles or if it's in the desires of, of folks to have more renewable mm -hmm. energy, it's kind of that ability to say, what are we planning for and do we have enough time to be able to get there? Mm -hmm. And that creates some of the challenges. You know, uh, today, at least when we talk about electric vehicles, we haven't seen a lot of those in our area. Mm -hmm. And so we're probably more likely to be able to learn from what's happening in other parts of the country that are probably trying to adapt that more quickly. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of things of all of this desires, you know, that it's going to take even help from the federal government to be able to get just a lot of the charging stations in the right locations to be able to move vehicles efficiently across the country, which doesn't exist today. Right. And a lot of that, even in that planning, ends up being, too, as far as, wherever you place those chargers and things, you know, how many vehicles are you going to charge at a time? What time during the day are you doing it? How fast do you want to be able to charge them? Because that makes us either end up building the system big enough to handle for what mm -hmm. the customer wants, or we have to find some alternative way 
to get them maybe to change their usage or give them a price signal or something else mm -hmm. that says don't charge during the day when we're using all this energy for something else, air conditioning, heat, mm -hmm. cooking. Can you do it at night or some other times? But I kind of foresee with all the variables involved, especially with like, you know, people are going to hear what you just said. And they're going to hear it, but they're not going to pay much mind to it to where I foresee like, say at like, you know, for say someone's lunch break, um, these Tesla charge stations, which I don't know, can charge 15, 20 cars at a time. They're all full plugged up. I can foresee like an outage here and there. I don't know, like just the the perfect storms, everything aligns to where, oh geez, they just zapped the system. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I just kind of foresee that happening in, in certain areas that, you know, like I said, uh, a situation that wasn't 100% forecasted for happens and you know someone pays the price I guess I don't know yeah. and some of that is that planning piece again, right that, exactly yep. yeah if, if you can't plan and you don't know what's being used it may happen then you may end up with some sort of disruption right. or an inability to be able to use that that charging station or whatever that that, yeah. that source of load is at least yeah. at the time you want to because it's like um well, me and you know both, nothing ever goes according to plan, you yeah. know. You can plan and plan and plan, but... I wish things would work like that, but a lot of times it does not. No, but that, it, it, there's always learning experiences. Yeah. And so it's interesting when I listen to Amber talk, when she comes back to, from these meetings that she attends to, and what what um, some of the people talk about in the, in the discussions on how the the electric world is growing and creating with everything with this EV world and going green that you know let's say for instance the EV world is, has grown tremendously pretty fast within the last three four I won't even say five years but it's every year it, it, they're like huge leaps in the EV world you know there are more companies are coming out with EV there's you know, there's more companies trying, like, I think they're trying for EV semis. Like, the whole EV world is blowing up. And for you guys to sit and plan on, like, okay, well, what's the world going to be like in five years? Is there going to be 10,000 EV vehicles out there? Is there going to be half a million EV vehicles a year? Like, what's the increased rate of... EV vehicles being produced, you know, every year that we have to accommodate for. Then on top of that, it's so it's like how do we how do we build going forward to not shortchange ourselves, you know, to be like, okay, well now we're gonna run bigger power lines down the grid to supply all this, but hopefully that it's not gonna be outdated in twenty years, you know what I mean? And I'm sure it's probably hard to pinpoint that, but that's something that you guys have to worry about or think about today and tomorrow that it's not just like your guys' job isn't just to sit there and just make sure like everybody's got power at their houses and, and that's it. Like it's way more above and beyond that. It's future planning and it's not just a month or six months. It's 10 years, 15, 20 years out there. You know, the everybody's growing, everything's producing. There's more EV coming in the world and with that, have you noticed, like already, the EV world that it's it's made a change on our electrical grid? That you're you're finding out that you're producing more, throwing, selling, 
more electricity because of the EV or, or have you guys really not felt that yet? Up here in this region, yep. I guess I should say. So up here in this region, we really haven't felt it yet. Okay. You know, there are, I think probably only if probably a few hundred EVs actually in the state. Is where we wow. kind of sit at the moment. It's it's not a significant number, and a lot of like those bigger cities like California and probably like New York correct. and stuff like yep. that. And so it really hasn't been a large adoption. And some of that is there's still kind of the unknown how they'll either do in this area. Mm -hmm. But the other one, it's always the question: Where do you end up charging those vehicles today? So most of those people are end up charging them either at their home, mm -hmm. then they end up having in a garage, or they take a charger with them, mm -hmm. you know, when they travel, so they can plug in somewhere. But you know those sorts of charging rates on those vehicles are fairly slow. You know we're talking about something if you have kind of a garage charger, but the smaller one they're probably you know 12, 14 hours or more mm -hmm. to be able to fully charge those. Now there are some of the larger Tesla stations, like one up by the Pinehurst Mall by Coles, mm -hmm. that I think they can charge a vehicle in about 30 minutes is what it takes. But there really aren't a lot of those on our system, so we don't see the impact of that yet. Oh, okay, sure. But when it comes and instead of having one, you have 10, 20, 100, if that's where it goes, mm -hmm. then that's part of that planning to say, what impact does that have on us? And that gets us into the place. We're not only uh, dealing with what's happening here with our customers, it's kind of a national policy whether other states, the mm -hmm. federal government has impacts on us, telling us really what we can have for the future, what you can't build, and then also saying, you know, helping to formulate what that future looks like. And, and one of those big concerns ends up being for us in this same time, you know, on a national basis, is trying to move away from the traditional generators that we've had and trying to say, you know, those need to be replaced very quickly with something else that's more intermittent. Mm -hmm. Instead of having that, you know, that, that, that plant that's there 24-7, you can depend on it when you just flip the switch, you get into those situations as well as saying, now you've got this variable source of energy. How do you combine that with what your customers' needs are? Do you build a whole lot of excess to be able to cover it when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine? Do you start putting in lots of more storage that's out there? And then you get into the place, what can you do with your customer's load, which is probably where electric vehicles are going, of saying, how can we charge those differently than what customers do other loads? You know, because if we end up adding uh, electric vehicle charging on top of when everybody's home with their air conditioners on and they're cooking and they got the washer and dryer on, we've got to build a bigger system, and that takes time. But there also is parts during the day when our usage isn't quite as high. So if I can give you a way to charge your vehicle at night, or sometime when there isn't as much usage on the system. Almost equalizes it. Yep, I can get better utilization at that time. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of that transformation with technology that will likely happen, is you'll probably end up with a separate meter, if you have one of those electric vehicles at home, the separate meter, maybe oh. it's a price signal. So maybe be a different you, rate. Probably. Maybe you get a yeah. different rate and you say, I'm not gonna charge. Metering would be a huge asset for you guys to forecast off of. It would to forecast and be able to move, you know, right. with an incentive exactly to a different time of the day. Where that concentrated power needs to be. Yeah. Yep. Or the other one, if you have separate meters and some of those with technologies, in order to get a better rate, maybe we have an ability to, to turn that charger off. Because it's sure. not as critical yeah. saying your lights are on or you're able to right. run your shop when you want it. Right. It's not. just saying, I'll give you a, a lesser rate. I'll give you a special meter, but I have that ability to go and turn that off if I've got an emergency or there's a lot of usage on the system. 
And it's a way I think technology is going to come along, and at least as consumers and users of that, you're going to have different information and different choices. They end up saying, what's the best way that I can take this new load now, this electric vehicle, mm -hmm. that maybe I don't have to charge it now, but I can do it later, that you can adjust your habits for. But if right. you're wanting to drive and across the country, you don't want to do that at night. No. Right. And you're going to want to find somewhere you can charge it quickly. And that's going to have a bigger impact, at least on how we plan for the system. Mm -hmm. And so as far as to the make sure there's enough. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So now, do you guys, so again, I, I keep kind of going back to, you know, when you, and I'm just trying to make this simple so a lot of people can try to get in my head and get on the same page as me. So when you when you're sitting in your office and you're you're studying the whole electrical uh, grid of it, are you also interacting with like Tesla? And I'm just gonna use Tesla because they're probably the one that everybody knows that's in the whole EV world. I'm not just saying it's only, but I'm just gonna use that as an example. Do you? reach out to them, do they give you stats? Do they give you information? Because you, it should be like a thing, okay, if we're an electrical company and you need us, and I know there's other companies out there that provide electric electricity, but I'm just using MDU for an example because that's what's up here. Mm -hmm. Do you get, or do you have somebody, or is there, like okay, like, like in a pyramid grid, like you're up here, well, to make this successful, we need information from Tesla, to tell us, okay, we are producing half a million cars next year, and we are expectancy to sell 80% of those. This is where we sold them, so you guys kind of know like where the where the EVs are going. If it's in your area, not in your area, to forecast, to predict for the future sales. Like you have to get some kind of stats from them, and then do you guys reach out and get like okay, let's say if the U.S is divided in thirds and we're right down the middle are you getting information from east and west to be like hey what are you guys producing since the ev world what what has your rates increased um since then what is your rates increased on the west side since the ev world started producing so we we're getting data so we know how to adjust accommodate future thinking or anything like that does that work? Is that exist? Does that work or not really? It plays it, into some of the planning we do. Okay. And and some of that is, you know, there will be some, you know, rate at least, you know, that technology is deployed. Mm. You know, and and whatever that ramp rate looks like, you know, we're gonna have to adjust to it. You know, we're still pretty well down on that far bottom of the slope and mm -hmm. we really haven't seen that upturn yet. Mm -hmm. But some of the information we've been focusing on, you know, are, are really that the types and the rates of charging that goes along. You know, they break those down into like a level one, two, and three chargers, sure. depending how fast you go. Mm -hmm. And depending, you know, what you know those are, kind of helps us plan for where are people going to connect those, and then how do we meter those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, to get ahead of that on some of those special rates, are trying to think of how do we develop things for tariffs and other things, so at least the customer can say, I want this level of service when that comes along. And one of the ways we do that is by watching what happens more on a nationally regional basis, knowing that it's not gonna impact us first, mm -hmm. but we're gonna see on others and try to take some of their examples and lessons learned and put that in place. 
you know, the other one we get into is if we have a lot of people would say really want to charge fast in their own garages mm -hmm. and have a lot of level two chargers and those things, now we're having to put bigger wires and transformers out in neighborhoods mm -hmm. and at least to be able to handle what a customer wants. So we, we have to get ahead of that ordering, those construction of those pieces to serve that mm -hmm. and have some way either that we're using stats from what we expect vehicles to be sold or at least have some way that customers start putting in applications if they want those bigger chargers to tell us. And then we can start map planning that way and mapping out where they are and make sure we're trying to get ahead of building the system out so that it's the right size. I think it's almost kind of funny. I just kind of drew a comparison there as you're talking about like neighborhoods like Seoul. You could be the same nuisance. You could be that neighborhood bad guy. Say if you drove your Chevelle every day. Mm -hmm. Just firing up that 540, pissing everybody off. Well, you could be that same guy with the electric car if you're knocking out everybody's electricity if you're from charging that thing all the time. It's just like, well, you can still, it, yeah. yeah, you could still like, even though you got an electric car, you're still pissing people off. I don't know. Right. Well, and that's kind of where I'm, I'm reaching out because I feel like that, you know, in your position, you just don't have to worry about people coming to work and be able to have electricity to work or, or you don't sit there and you figure out electricity for people to have heat in their home and make sure they can, you know, go throughout the day with electricity in their house. Like what you guys are in charge of is a such a way bigger picture than that because not only do you have to worry about today's ongoing procedures and everyday mm -hmm. work and living and everything, but at the same token, you have to put just as much energy as into the future of all the EV world that and the chargers and everything coming in. Plus, you have to sit and worry about okay, okay then on and which is huge. Like that's a big piece of pie. Your everyday living and consumables and everything that we're doing right here, right now. That's a huge piece of pie that you guys have to monitor and figure out. But then over here is another huge, big piece of pie to be like at the same time to accommodate for all this we have to think of a better cleaner more efficient way to get the electricity and then on top of it is this world going to handle i'm sure what we put in the ground or hung up in the air how many years ago is it going to work and handle all these growths that you're managing so sooner or later like we're going to have to start redoing the veins and the the routes that electricity are going to and flowing to accommodate for the growth and you know subdivisions uh, you know people are building you know new homes everywhere it's like okay well we got to make sure that we have enough electricity and, and like you said like you get your transformers and stuff that can handle but then how many people might have EV vehicles? How many these people might have shops? I mean, there's so much more to this when it comes to the electrical world than just a simple like in and out for electricity. Cause there's so much that you guys have to maintain and figure out and for the growth of it, what's that like? So, so part of that, it's, it's that transformation, Travis, that you talk about where you know, one of the things that's kind of occurring, and again, on a national basis, mm -hmm. some of that is is driven by, you know, policy at the federal government. Some of state policies is really driving this at a very fast pace. And so there's a lot of transformation and change 
that at least says how those poles and wires are being used in the future. Mm -hmm. Instead of taking them from a large central generating station somewhere mm -hmm. and moving it to a load, it's more of how do we move this load back and forth across the country, this supply back and forth across the country, when maybe the wind is blowing really good in one area and it's not over here that we can kind of help each other out. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more planning and a lot more science that doesn't exist today that's going to have to be figured out to make that happen. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the other ones that's happening on a national basis is this expected with electric vehicles but also taking other industries that have used other sources of fuel and saying they're also going to become electrified, we're seeing at least a potential growth in electric demand, the peak amount that you used and the amount of energy you consume, you know, probably growing 150 to 200 percent, probably over about the next 20 years. Wow. And that just really supports that ability, if it truly is, you know, the society we go to that would be, you know, more more greener carbon free, mm -hmm. depending what technologies come along and saying that's what we're supplying all this energy from, it's a tremendous increase, at least in use of electricity and you know transformation of the electric grid that's going to be happening. And that's a lot of that planning nationally that goes on to at mm -hmm. least get utilities, others to think about that, what are the challenges that we end up having to deal with. And, and some of that, too, is at least going to have to be educating our customers that saying, if as a society we go down this path, mm -hmm. this is what it's going to mean to you personally, and at least this is how you're going to have to have technology to be a part of this as well, so we're not overbuilding so much and putting a lot of extra costs in the ground that somehow we could manage differently. Sounds like the, the world's tightest tightrope to walk with the longest balancing pole. It just sounds like a huge balancing act to me. It, it but, but there's so many like, you know, but there's so many points that you got to balance off of, you know, almost like there's so much that juggle. Consideration. You know, yeah. Yeah. So, so again, the EVs are a part of that. They're right. coming in. We're not seeing that uh, deployment rate being a real large impact here, mm. but we'll learn from others. Uh, one of the things the federal government is currently doing through some of their stimulus funding is trying to put ways in place, you know, national charging networks because it doesn't exist today. Mm -hmm. If you want to go off and be able to drive across the country, you know, Tesla put their own backbone in, mm -hmm. so at least you could drive on the interstates from one side well, of the that, coast to the other. That'd be a huge selling point to buy a Tesla. Like, hey, we're the only EV you could drive cross country on the interstate. On the interstate, yeah, yeah. So that would be. So only that type of car that has that type of charger. But they spent a lot of money well, yeah, they, to be able to put that in place. Yeah, but the government's but, looking at developing other sorts of incentives to put you know, larger charging stations in different type of vehicles and trying to find, you know, are those you know, 50 miles apart, 20 mm -hmm. miles apart, 100? And if you get to that, now you're going to end up saying it's going to take you 30 to maybe 60 minutes once you plug in mm -hmm. that you end up stopping. So you end up with shopping, a restaurant, something else you end up doing mm -hmm. beside you, that you location need something when to you fill get that there. Void. Yeah, yep. so like just like Piners, they put it near a shopping mall. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Well, so then that's the thing too. Like, and here's here's my mind thinking. But the world doesn't revolve around Tesla, you know. There's Cadillac, there's there's GM, there's Ford, there's um, Audi, there's you know, there's yeah. every manufacturer is going to be producing an EV vehicle. Are those manufacturers going to put their own charging stations? Or are they going to go to Tesla and be like, hey, well, like share with us a little yeah. bit here? Well, that's... now instead of like across, like you said, like let's just say in North Dakota going across um, that 
in North Dakota, like there's probably only, and I'm just going to use a rare number, but say right now there's only 20 vehicles that are charging on the Tesla stations mm -hmm. across North Dakota, probably, you know, and, and I don't know what it is. I'm just trying to use an example. Well, let's take five years from now, and now there's Ford using that same charger, Chevy's using that same charger, Audi's using that same charger. Now you're getting 200 cars pulling power nonstop, like Sam's Club at the gas station where they're lined up to pull up, charge real quick, next one pull up, charge, next one pull up and charge. Now you're pulling way more energy out of these stations. You have to accommodate for that. So right now, like you said, Tesla's the only one that's on the grid, but as we get bigger with the EV world, you know, there's gonna be more cars pulling that same power way more often that you're gonna, you know, have to accommodate for. And by doing that, and I know this is what people don't like to hear, but who who picks that tab up? You know what I mean? Yes. Like eventually as we grow, the industry has to grow. You guys have to it's supply and demand, like you have to meet the needs. But with growth, there's a cost. And that's the thing, like, is it fair for me to say, well, why should my electricity go up? I don't have an EV vehicle, you know what I mean? And I'm yeah. sure there's gonna be people out there who's gonna say that or what have you, but eventually, like, our whole electrical cost is gonna increase tremendously because of the EV world that's popping up. Do you see that happening? I, I think costs in managing those are continue to be a challenge for the future. You know, anything we build that's new today, you know, certainly is probably 10, 20 times more expensive than what it was 50 years ago. Right. And so as you accommodate that growth or any sort of change technology, it adds another level of cost, mm -hmm. at least into the industry. And, you know, looking at some of those charging stations as well, depending upon how many vehicles you want to charge at a time and how long it takes to charge them, at least comes at a cost even for an owner from a business, because you're deciding yeah. how much of an investment am I gonna put in that so I can accommodate all these people that comes. And so it's gonna have that ripple effect yeah. that so, it has. And this is just kind of me thinking out loud. So from this dynamic, do you think that the government is more than willing to back Put the infrastructure for all these universal charging stations, any sort of, any producer, any manufacturer of that particular electric car can use this charging station just so the federal government can get their take? The, the answer is yes, and that's sometimes how, <laughs> how that technology is deployed. Yeah, so yeah, we got you, but uh, yeah, you're gonna pay us too, you know? Yeah. yeah. Some of that, that first movers in technology, there's money the federal government will put in in helping to develop those charging stations, making sure they're in the right spots and they can accommodate all the different manufacturers. Mm -hmm. But in some case, like any industry, they'll expect it to be able to stand on its own at some point. Sure, right, yeah. But the, the even, like, even like Ford's electric vehicle program is still so minute compared to their gasoline program. Well, they probably need that federal backing to make sure that they can get more electric vehicles on the road and same with like i think uh rivian is another one mm -hmm. um even i don't i don't i highly doubt tesla's even at the point where they can provide their own infrastructure for for all that so it's like it's 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 almost um a good deal from both sides from the government and the electric company mm -hmm. electric vehicle company standpoint mm -hmm. So yeah, um, check us out. Also, check us out on um, DakotaCustoms.com, our website. 
our Dakota Customs Facebook and we have a comment section on there so you can comment if there's anything you want us to talk about uh, if you have any upcoming questions and um, you can leave a, a comment section there we'll try to answer uh, with the questions that we do get so that's all I got and thanks for listening have a good day guys Thanks for listening to Unriveted Radio. Also available on demand with the Super Talk 1270 mobile app. Download in the App Store or Google Play today. Unriveted Radio, presented by Dakota Customs, a full-service custom garage on the Strip in Mandan.